Well, good evening again. Uh, trust that you're doing well. If you have a copy of God's Word, go to Romans chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, the major, the first major section in our study through uh, the book of Romans. So uh, we've, we've covered uh, Romans chapters 1 through 4. Uh, we'll finish that tonight. And then over the next few weeks, we'll be uh, doing things a little bit differently. We'll have Q&A next week. We want to hear your questions. So if you can, send those in to us. Um, you can send them to my email, davidbots at crosswaybc.org, or to the college email, crave at crosswaybc.org. Um, you can also text them to any of your adult leaders or small group leaders, and they'll get them to us as well. Uh, we'll be doing a Q&A next week, like I said, and then uh, starting uh, the week after that, we'll be uh, doing a new series to kind of take us through the summer and get us ready, especially as we think about uh, the, pot the potential to, to regather and start to have worship services again. So tonight, though, we'll be focusing on Romans chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 25. Uh, hopefully you've had enough time to get there. Let's go ahead and read uh, God's word to his people. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, says this, Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he might become the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offense and was raised because of our justification. Let's go ahead and pray and, and thank God for preserving his word for us. God, we do come to you tonight and we are thankful that we have your word in front of us, that we are able to continue to have a semblance of a worship service, uh, although online. We do ask that you would help us to persevere um, until we're able to meet again, that we would uh, continue to try and gather and invite other people to watch along with us. We do pray in the moments to come that you would be with the word that will be preached. Pray that you would help me to remember what I've studied. I do pray that you would encourage us as a result of your word. So be with us now as we continue to worship you uh, after singing now through your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of an unwavering faith or an unwavering courage or unwavering hope. Uh, all of those kind of themes tend to run together. And one of the stories that comes to my mind when I think about this, uh, naturally a history buff, I enjoyed history in school and um, have always enjoyed reading and studying and learning more about it. One of the stories that when I think about um, unending courage or faith is the story of George Washington at Valley Forge. And Washington finds himself at Valley Forge in 1777. Um, it's not uncommon for the area to be cold. It's a difficult time there through the Christmas season. And uh, the conditions are not unseasonably harsh. But when you don't have the right uh, food, you don't have the right clothes, you don't have the right supplies, everything becomes more difficult. And, and in those difficult conditions, Washington actually finds himself pushing through them to try and get uh, the troops ready to continue their bat the battle for independence. And 
Uh, he invites outsiders to come in and train uh, the troops that are gathered there. And he really presses on despite the bleak conditions. And, and really the, the, the troops on the other side of the, their stay at Valley Forge come out fortified, stronger and better as a result of what they've experienced. And what Washington doesn't know is that Benjamin Franklin is actually in France at the time, getting the French to come to the aid of uh, the soon-to-be uh, independent Americans. And, and I love that story, not for uh, anything patriotic, but really for Washington's resolve to, to, to press through the difficult situations, to have faith that the cause was worth the effort, to, to have faith in the fact that what he was doing was important. And we sometimes in the Western world can, can bleed our patriotism and our Christianity maybe a little too close. And so I don't want this to seem as uh, Washington as the hero of our faith. No, I, what I'm using it for is, is an illustration to say a, a lot of times we are inspired by the stories around us of people's unwavering courage and faith and resolve. Yet more often than not, what we have in God's word is a, a far better hope and a far better place to put our faith and trust in. And so tonight, I want to look at Paul as he rounds out this section of scripture. And he once again takes us to Abraham and, and he's continuing to use Abraham as an illustration. And tonight, I want us to consider the idea of unwavering faith in, in a world that we could say is incredibly growing more and more faithless. And so... The first thing, really two observations tonight again, but the first observation being an example. And, and so I want us to look at Abraham's example for us. Uh, verse 18 says, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Paul continues to show how Abraham is an example of what it looks like to live in light of being justified by faith. Abraham's life continues to exhibit his continual faith in God beyond just his normal experiences. So what I'm trying to press here is, and I think Paul is as well, is trying to show that Abraham doesn't have faith, is justified by God, and then it doesn't affect the rest of his life. But rather his, his faith and being justified bolsters and encourages and, and leads to the way that he lives out his life. Abraham's faith in God and his promises um, actually cause him to, to be more bold in, in living for God in spite of his circumstances and situations. You might be tempted to say, well, how so? And I think Paul actually points us to these ways in verse 19. He says, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham had every reason to not believe in God's promises to him. And Paul lays out two specific reasons why Abraham could have doubted or lost hope or faith in God's promise that he would be the father of many nations. He says, first, he had faith in God even though he was old. Verse 19 says that and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Now, Paul is not saying that Abraham was basically dead and so he was holding on. What Paul is referring to here is 
God has promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Yet Abraham is, to use a biblical language, advanced in years, but does not have a, a child. So Abraham could have rightfully looked around and said, you know, I'm about 100 years old. I don't understand how God is going to be able to make me the father of many nations, uh, let alone one nation. We don't have a child. There is no um, child here to carry on my name. And yet I've been promised that I will be the father of many nations. How can this possibly be? Abraham had every reason to doubt God. His age would have given him a justifiable excuse to say, this seems ridiculous. This seems uh, borderline insane for you to make this claim, God, that I'll be the father of many nations. I'm old. There is no hope. There is no way for me. But Paul says that Abraham pressed on regardless of the situation that he found himself in. Um, the, the second way that this kind of plays its way out is he says, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Both give reason. So, okay, so, yeah, I have faith even though I'm advanced in years and we have no child. I'll, I'll have faith because I know somehow maybe you can pull this off. But also, Sarah is not able to have children. So, again, we find ourselves back at square one. Abraham asking himself, how can God rightfully promise that I will be the father of many nations when we don't have a child and I am old and Sarah's womb is incapable, incapable of having a child. It's interesting, is it not? Abraham finds himself in a very bleak situation, potentially having no hope. But Paul says Abraham's hope wasn't built. His faith in God and his ability to keep his promises were not built on the circumstances that Abraham and Sarah found themselves in. And I think a lot of times for us, we may feel that temptation. We may look around and go, the circumstances seem to dictate that God is unable to come through, that God would be unable to keep his promises. But notice where Paul points us to as we look at Abraham. He continues on in verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. What ends up happening is Abraham, rather than looking at his present circumstances and situations as a means to justify whether or not God would be able to be faithful, looks to God in faith and says, you've promised that you will come through. You have promised that I will be the father of many nations and my faith in you is what's going to give me the courage, the resolve, the strength to continue and carry on. You know, we, we might find ourselves in difficult situations right now. I, I'm certainly not diminishing the fact that this is a strange and difficult time. I think we've heard it said probably to death that we live in uh, unprecedented times and strange days and weird circumstances and unusual times. But if we as Christians are looking to our circumstances and our situations as the means by which our faith will either hold up or not hold up, then it's not genuine faith in God. It's genuine faith in ourselves. 
Abraham, verse 20 says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. How can we be strengthened in faith? Only when that faith is in God, an utter reliance and dependence on God and who he is. He continues, verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham knew the circumstances. He knew the situation that he found himself in, but he was utterly convinced that the God who had promised would perform his promise. Do you have utter confidence that God is going to perform according to his promise, according to who he is? Or are you wringing your hands and nervous about who God is and what God is doing and what his plans are? Now, this is not a blind adherence faith. This is not a faith that is like, well, we can just live however we want because God has promised us. No, we, we do and are responsible to continue to faithfully follow God. Meanwhile, though, we, when we are discouraged or when we find ourselves in a situation wavering at the promise of God through unbelief, we look to God in faith as our hope. And Abraham does this, verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, Paul points us back to this imputation of righteousness on Abraham's account. You see, Abraham's faith is genuine faith. It's saving faith because it's an utter dependence on God alone to save him, to come through, to fulfill his promises. To, to meet the expectations that are set for him. This utter dependence, a lot of times, is what is missing in our day-to-day -day life. We don't feel like we need to be utterly dependent on God because in our mind, we can go ahead and provide for ourselves. We lack this type of faith because we've become comfortable We've been comfortable with the fact that I can get a job, I can earn some money, I can use that money to pay for some bills, to provide myself a place to, to sleep, to allow myself luxuries of driving around and attending different things and participating in certain events. We have become complacent in our reliance on God most often, if we're being honest. And we don't think in terms of depending on God in the way that Abraham does because we've bought into the lie that somehow we're able to provide for ourselves and take care of ourselves. I mean, after all, this is what buying into the American dream is, that if I work hard enough, I can become successful. Notice that in the language that Paul uses describing Abraham as an example, he doesn't once look to Abraham's resolve in himself. Paul doesn't say, look at Abraham as your example, how he looked inwardly and said, I can do this. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can become successful. I can be someone great. I can be the father of many nations if I just will commit to working hard enough. That's not what the biblical text says at all. The biblical text says that Abraham looks around, notices his situation, that he is old and that Sarah cannot have children. And rather than getting nervous and and fearful, he presses into the reality that faith is utter dependence on God and him alone to come through, to provide, to be his all-sufficient 
Savior in every respect. And Paul says that type of faith, that utter dependent faith on God alone is what ultimately accounts for his righteousness. So tonight, as we look to Abraham as our perfect example, or not our perfect example, but an example of what it looks like to have unwavering faith, we realize first and foremost that we have to have utter dependence on God alone. And we are told how we can do this in the New Testament by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved, which ultimately leads, secondly, to our second observation about the text tonight. Not only an example that we find in Abraham, but our call specifically, our call. If you continue to read in verse 23, what we see through the rest of this section is the expectation for humanity. Verse 23 says this, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Paul now draws the conclusion here to this first section that this wasn't just done for Abraham. This wasn't Abraham's saving faith was not just done for Abraham. It was done for us as well. We might have the opportunity to experience the same exact thing that Abraham has experienced. This is not a one way of being saved in the Old Testament and a different way in the New Testament. It's not as if Abraham has a different access to God than we do now. Rather, our faith in Christ alone demonstrates our utter dependence on God. Look at verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Abraham is our example. But that example is not one that is merely seen. It's meant to be embraced. Have you done this? Have you had Christ's righteousness imputed to your account? You might say, David, I don't understand what that means at all. Well, that's why Paul continues to explain. We can use the language that Paul uses of imputation because Paul explains what that is. He says in verse 24, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So do you want to have God's righteousness imputed onto your account, placed onto your account? How can this be done? Well, first and foremost, it's done by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, by believing in Jesus Christ as being raised from the dead. That's what verse 24 says. It shall be imputed to those who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. If we believe in Christ, this righteousness can be imputed to our account. It's not just that, but also who was delivered, verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses. This is coming to know and understand ourselves as being uh, Christ followers. But in order to be a Christ follower, you first have to admit that you are a sinner, that Christ dies for our offenses. Notice it doesn't say Christ died for someone else's offenses or their offenses, but rather our offenses. Christ did not die just merely for the sins that you commit. He, he died for the sins that we all commit. He, he, he goes and is our perfect sacrifice on the basis of, of the fact that everyone needs someone to stand in their place. The Apostle Paul highlights that. He's incredibly humble, the Apostle Paul. 
Paul could have boasted in himself, but he knew that that was ultimately futile. Why? Because he was just as condemned as the next person. He was just as condemned as the next Jew, and he was just as con convicted before God, guilty as the next Gentile. There's no partiality. This harkens back to Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then he continues, he says, and was raised because of our justification. Beloved, we've spent the last few weeks going through the book of Romans, and the consistent resounding theme is humanity stands condemned, and we need someone to stand in our place. And Paul continues to argue that Christ is that perfect sacrifice who stands in our place and takes the punishment that we deserve so that we might be justified as we put our faith and trust in him. There is no other way to be made right with God than through faith alone, in Christ alone. We constantly find ourselves in a societal argument about how to help people. We constantly find ourselves arguing over what will make man good again. And the persistent problem that we find ourselves in the world around us is the fact that people seem to think that a mere societal program, institution, if we just get the right people in the right seats in the leadership bus, then everything, all of our problems will be fixed. It's no surprise to most, if not all of you, that we're getting ready to head into another election season. We don't know what it will look like. We don't know when it will be or what will happen. We're anticipating it and looking forward to it. And every four years, and really every two years, as we elect different representatives to speak on our behalf, we are, Christians are constantly lulled into the argument that if we just get the right elected official in the right spot, then everything that's wrong in our country will be fixed. Everything that is wrong in the world can be addressed if we just get the right person in the Oval Office or in the Senate chamber or in the galley of the House of Representatives. We also believe that if we just get the right celebrity to speak to the right issue, that will somehow fix the problem of humanity. The consistent witness of the scriptures is that looking to anyone other than Jesus Christ as the means to make a person right with God, anything other than that is an exercise in futility. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be good citizens of the land. It doesn't mean that we should, be, should not be invested in the direction and the speed and the pace of our country. I'm not saying any of that, and anybody that's spent any time with me at all knows that I reject that. I think that the Bible specifically calls us to be good citizens of the land, but to look at anything other than Jesus Christ as the hope for humanity is an exercise in futility that will lead us to ultimately wanting more. And I'm fearful tonight. 
I'm fearful that we are about to buy in once again, especially in the middle of a crisis that's happening around our world, that we are missing what the scriptures tell us. And that is this. It is appointed to man once to die and after death judgment. And it doesn't matter if we find ourselves like we did earlier in the year with everyone telling us different things about what the future of the pandemic would look like and where we were financially as a country or as even as individuals. It doesn't, and that is irrelevant. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves right now struggling to figure out when should we reopen? How should we reopen? What does it look like? How can I love my neighbor? You want to know how you can love your neighbor, Christian? You want to know how you can care for the people around you in the middle of a global pandemic? You want to know how you can care for people right now in the midst of everything that is swirling around us? Is to tell them and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as your only hope and their only hope to be made right with God. We've said it week after week in our study through the book of Romans. It doesn't matter the situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in. What is your hope and faith placed in? Abraham had every reason to doubt God's promises to him. And yet he continued to have utter dependence on God. And you and I are faced with that same challenge every day because Regardless of where we find ourselves in this particular moment in our life, continual challenges will happen. And we'll have to make a decision about where we're going to place our hope and faith. And the Apostle Paul is calling on all of humanity, all of his readers, and then to all who will read the book of Romans for the rest of time to put their faith and trust in Christ alone as their only hope. So to wrap up our time together this evening, a few questions and we'll be done. One, have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Have you, do you have a time? And I don't mean, can you tell me everything about it? I just want to know, has there been a time in your life where you were not depending on God completely, but now there has been a time in your life where you have placed all of your hope, you've confessed that you're a sinner, You believe in who Jesus Christ is. And God, through Christ, is your only hope. Have you done that? If you have not done that, I would just urge you to stop right now. You can even pause this video and and simply pray, confessing yourself as a sinner, believing in God, and trusting with utter dependence on God alone as your only hope. You can do that right now. You don't have to wait to be back in church. You don't need me to come and lead you. You can stop what you're doing right now and place your faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. The other question I would ask us as we think about this, is your life shaped by the reality of the truth of the gospel? It's one thing to say I've been saved. It's another thing to live like you've been saved. It's one thing to claim to know Christ. It's another to live your life as though your life has been claimed by Christ. And I want to encourage all of us who would say, I am a Christian. I have submitted to Christ's rule and reign in my life to live like that. And then finally, are you encouraged and emboldened by 
the faith that you have. I, I, I read these verses and I want the type of faith and I strive to live in a way like Abraham does. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Are you living in light of that? That confidence that drives you day in and day out. I, I understand we live in some weird times and we may find ourselves getting up in the morning and having to spend more time in prayer, more time in Bible reading, asking God to give us and encourage us and, and to allow us to walk by faith that he is able to perform what he has promised. But I think we've got to ask ourselves, are we committed to living like that and allowing God to shape the reality of who we are? Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you again, thankful for your word and thankful for how, how it shapes us and molds us and makes us more like you. And we want to have the faith that is described as being unwavering and, and confident. We want to have an utter dependence on you as our only hope for living. So I pray that in the moments to come, we would begin to live in such a way. Father, be with us now as we continue our week. May everything that we say and do bring honor to your name. We want to live for your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.